with us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, how we truly rejoice in this song for the trust in Jesus, trust which you have given to us, O Lord, for by grace are we saved through faith, and even that faith is that a gift of yours. We come this morning realizing that you have done all for us in our redemption, and we praise your name for it. And as we gather in your name this morning, we just pray that our hearts will be overflowing with a love and thanksgiving for your many blessings to us. And now we come asking you to bless us with your presence, leading every thought, every prayer, every word that is spoken or sung. 
For it's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. We do welcome those who visit with us this morning. I think we had a mighty fine group in our Sunday school time, and I trust many of you, uh, having enjoyed Bible study together, are now here for the time of worship and praise. We'd like to recognize you by asking all those who are not members of our church, if you won't just slip your hand up right now, our men at the front have some cards, and they'd like to come by and share one with you. If you will take it and fill it out and drop it in the offering plate just a little later in the service, this will give us a record of your visit, and at the same time, we can drop you a line and let you know how much we appreciate your being with us. Just raise it up good and high, and let me say to you, as your hand is raised, welcome. On behalf of our pastor and our family of faith at Brainerd Baptist Church, our joy and pleasure to have you, and we trust it will be a joy for you to be with us, serving and praising the Lord. Now, I noticed Mac McCarley, our Sunday school director, jumped up and was on his way up here even before I was finished. Did you notice that? Do you know why? He must have something good to say. Thank you, Brother Norman. Truly, I do, because spring is here this morning. Wonderful group in Sunday school this morning. Delight to welcome eight new members into our Sunday school program. 28 fine visitors who studied with us this morning. We hope each of you can come back and join with us next Sunday. And if you live in our city and do not have a church home, we invite you to study with us on each Sunday morning. Total attendance of 963. An excellent report. Want each one of you plan to invite at least one person to come and study God's Word with you on next Sunday morning. For it's wonderful to see a group lead us as one of our classes did this morning as they followed Christ's footsteps and having 100% in attendance. Brother Ken Ross, thanks to you and your class, 100% of their members in attendance. Let that be a goal for every one of us for next Sunday. Now, it seems to me we could have found 37 more somewhere this morning. And, you know, if you're here and you weren't in Sunday school, you might have been one of those 37. So shame on you. Come out next Sunday. Two Sundays from today is high attendance day, right? And the Sunday after that is one more than the Sunday before, which is a challenge of our revival. And so we trust that you're already in the spirit of revival, in the season of revival, by praying, visiting, and inviting. These are the days of revival. Thank you, Mac, for that good report. Every one of our classes set a goal several months ago for the 14th, and I'm sure every one of them are going to exceed it because many of them already have. Good. That's great news. That's great news. One announcement about the Baptist Children's Home this afternoon. As you know, they have completed a cottage now, and they're having the dedication service at 3 p.m. this afternoon at the Children's Home there at the cottage. 6623, I believe it is, Lee Highway. And everyone is invited. And there'll be an open house from 2 to 5 p.m. in which you can go through uh, the cottage. We have several of these young ladies from one of the uh, cottages there who are members here in our church. And we're grateful for the opportunity of sharing in this experience for them. The beautiful flowers in our sanctuary this morning are a gift of the Shelley Bostick family. They are from the funeral service for Jean Bostick, who uh, passed away this past Thursday and whose funeral was yesterday. I know you'll want to continue holding the family up in your prayers. They are lovely, and we appreciate the beauty they show to our Lord Jesus Christ. May we stand together as we begin our morning worship.
Our Father, with gratitude in our hearts for the beauty of this day, we gather in your house. Father, for the word that has been shared, your word, your wonderful truth of revelation, for that insight that you have given to teachers and to students, for the strength to meet the problems and the distresses and the difficulties of day-to-day -day living, and for the joy of Christian fellowship that brings to us a buoyancy of life that is Christian. For all these things, Father, we come to thank you. We rejoice, Father, not only in the beauty of this day, but we rejoice in the beauty of the peace of heart and mind and soul that thou hast made possible for those of us who are your children. In this hour of worship, we come, Father, seeking to share our love for you with each other. And we come in this hour earnestly praying that all of those powers of distraction that would rob us and turn us away mentally and spiritually from the truths that you have for us, that the powers of evil about us would be bound, and that your word in purity and simplicity might find its lodging place in our hearts in this hour. Thy blessings, we pray, and thy comfort upon those who need you in a very special way this day. We rejoice in answered prayer, and we anticipate, Father, that which you will share with us in this hour. In Jesus' marvelous name we pray. Amen. with 
what joy his dear face I shall see. Forty-seven, ye servants of God, your master proclaim. One hundred forty-seven. Six, blessed Redeemer. One hundred six.
offering this morning is hymn number 99, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And as we stand to sing, our brethren will prepare to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Let's stand. Gracious Father, we do thank thee for the wondrous cross of Jesus Christ, because through it we have found our salvation by the Lord giving his life for us. We thank thee for the privilege of coming to this place once again for worship. Bless our hearts as we've met here today. We pray again for those who are in the hour of bereavement, that thou be very near and dear unto them. May thy Holy Spirit be a special comfort to them. Now as we bring our tithes and offerings to thee, do pray that thou will bless them and use them for the ongoing of thy kingdom is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Wanderer to the Savior, 
The seed of precious life I might have sown. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chained I've helped to free? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so much for me? No longer will I stay within the valley. I'll climb to mountain heights above. The world is dying now for want of someone to tell them of the Savior's matchless love. How many are the lost that I have lifted? How many are the chained I've helped to free? I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus when he has done so I found it very difficult to try to assign a title for the message that I wanted to bring in this morning hour of worship. There are a number of titles that adequately would describe the main thoughts that I would share with you. The second mile, or going beyond the requirements was one title. Another title that I thought about was real, not just ornamental Christianity. And still a third title for the message on my heart was merely existing versus the full life. In a sense, each of these three possible titles conveys the meaning that I believe Jesus has for us as he shared eternal insights with us as a part of that marvelous Sermon on the Mount. In the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, verses 38, 39, 40, and 41. We find a jewel set amidst a cluster of jewels where Jesus, in this great message, describing 
the difference between an ordinary life and a Christian life, describing the difference in the joy that can be known by just living as any normal average human being lives and the way that he would lead his disciples to live, he comes to a high watermark in these verses. Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him two miles. There is not a thing expressed by the Lord Jesus Christ in this marvelous sermon that measures up to or matches what we would consider robust, he-man, stand-up-for-yourself, the good old American independent spirit. If a fellow does you in, it's a part of your strength to do him in. You see, that's the human way of attacking our problems, of settling our difficulties. But Jesus, who always, without fail and without exception, Jesus, who desires the best for his people, who wants only that which is superior for those who follow him. Jesus gives us a different principle by which we are to live life. There are a great many people who live their lives according to just the average run-of-the-mill mundane human aspects. Arriving at the solutions to life's problems, trying to determine what the answers are to life's questions on the basis of some humanistic outlook on life, some Greek philosophy, some something that is conjured up out of our own brains, rather than to meet life head on, with the guidance and the instruction that Jesus brings to his own people. 
all of Christ's directions for us deal with the full life. When he said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have that life more fully, more abundantly, he meant it. Not for a moment does Jesus want to cheapen your life or cause you to live life on a little plane or in a smaller sphere. Not for a moment does Jesus want you in any sense to get less than the best and to be able to meet every moment of every day claiming in it, in the darkness of whatever the moment may bring, in the distress of that moment, in the sorrow of that moment, in the unhappiness of that moment, in the challenge of that moment to your prejudices that have become built in, framed within our own hearts and minds, Jesus said, I will give you some principles of the quality of life that will put you on a different level of living. You see, this is what makes living the Christian life really, honestly, and truly something different. Now, I think we would be less than honest with ourselves if we did not admit that most of us live by the old principles of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Do unto others before they do it unto you becomes the motto of living, either spoken or unspoken. And I think that in honesty, all of us who are Christians will have to say that it is a constant battle, a constant spiritual battle for those of us who are Christians to live on this spiritual plane, this spiritual quality of life that Jesus is here describing for us. The instruction, the exhortation that he has given us in that 41st verse, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him two miles. It just doesn't make sense by the world's standards and by the world's philosophy, but it does make sense according to Christ's standard. And the individual Christian who will accept Christ's standards and will seek to live by Christ's standards will find something marvelous happening within his own soul and within his own spirit. And those who live with an individual who lives like that will discover that it is indeed a joy to be in fellowship with one like that. The word that is here translated compel, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, could a little more literally be translated impress. And whosoever shall impress thee to go a mile. Now, the background for what Jesus is talking about here 
goes all the way back to the days of the great Persian Empire. In the height of the Persian Empire, a far-flung empire covering many, many thousands of miles, there had developed in the royal system a marvelous post office system. And this was maintained in a way similar to our own Western uh, culture uh, in the early days of our own country, that is, with the Pony Express, a system of horses and post stations established every so many miles. And the post, the letters properly marked, would be carried from one station to the other with the horses, the riders, the bags exchanged, and fresh horses and riders, and would go then to the next. Now, if perchance in the arrival of one of the riders, something has happened to one of the horses at the relay station, one of the drivers, uh, one of the riders, then it was Persian law that anyone who happened to be in the area, in the neighborhood, could be impressed into the service. That is, the horse could be taken over and that the rider of that horse could say, I don't care what you're doing, the law requires that you deliver the mail to the next relay station. Following the Persian Empire and its collapse came the Greek Empire. The Greeks were very much impressed with this and they brought that same kind of a system over into the Greek Empire. And when the Greek Empire waned and waxed and went its way, the Roman Empire came along. And the Romans, always seeking to do things in a very definite and in a very military and a methodical way, incorporated this ancient Persian principle into their practice. And so it was the Roman Empire that held sway at the time when Jesus was speaking bringing the Sermon on the Mount. And so the people knew exactly what he was talking about. It was not necessary for Jesus to stop and explain the background, you see, for those people, for they knew exactly. Probably a dozen, maybe a hundred of the very people that he was talking to in that crowd gathered there on the hillside, they knew because they themselves had somewhere, sometime in their life, had been doing something that they had planned. They were going about their own business. They were transacting their own affairs. They were going to market or they were taking care of some business. And a Roman soldier showed up on the scene and said, stop what you're doing. Here's a load. You know the law. Put it on your back. And the Roman law, which was in sway over all of the Roman provinces, the Roman law would compel that individual to carry the load that one mile. Now the law that at the same time impressed individuals into service like this was also just and humane for the law stipulated 
that it could not require one to carry the load beyond the one statute mile. And so in this, there was a humanity expressed. This is a translation that a Bishop Gore gave to this particular verse. When any public official presses thee into transport service for a certain way, be prepared to take double the impost. The meaning is clear as far as the words of Jesus are concerned. The first mile is that which is required. You have no choice in the matter. You must carry the load that first mile. The second mile means going beyond that which is required. And what Jesus was trying to say to those first hearers and the Holy Spirit of God to those of us for whom the words of Jesus have been preserved in the Bible is that the Christian kind of life, the Christ-like kind of life, the Christian life that is real and not just an ornament or a name, the Christian life that is the full life and not merely existing from day to day, finds that it is happy to live within not just the first mile, but the second mile. Not only performing that which is required, but seeking ways out of the freedom that is ours to change from being a slave to the circumstance to being the master of the hour, going the second mile, doing that which is the unexpected, living on a different level and a different plane, living the Christ-like life. I think most of us and I include myself in the circle. Most of us live fairly satisfied with ourselves when we have met whatever happened to be the obligations of the first mile. As students, satisfied to do merely the minimum to get by, not to fail, going the first mile. The day laborer, satisfied with doing as little as possible, simply so that the eight hours of a day will go by. The housekeeper, satisfied with merely keeping a clear path through the living room or the kitchen or the bedroom. 
living in that restricted area of just the first mile. The businessman who in his dealings with others cuts every deal so short that there is really no great happiness for himself or for others. The preacher who lives within the bounds of only that which is expected of him. The teacher who teaches only some textbook materials X number of hours a day, just the minimum to get by, not really caring what happens in the minds and the hearts and the souls of those precious students within a classroom. The church member, Mr. Average church member, satisfied, delighted, eagerly anticipating the crowns of heaven for just doing what's expected no more. The husband, the wife, the child. And our concern in these days through which we move in the breakup of so many homes, the root of it all comes, it seems to me, in that there are so many husbands who in some very sterile and restricted way live within the bonds of marriage, but give no more to marriage and the home and the family than that very bare minimum that is required. So many wives who never ever live in that qualitative second mile doing the extra things that turn a house into a home children, satisfied merely with obeying the instructions of parents to the letter of the law, doing the minimum that is required, and no more. Living life inside the first mile. Now that's fine. And we need to live life within that first mile, and we need to learn to live it happily within that first mile. Because the way we live life within the first mile of our responsibilities and the first mile of our obligations will determine in great measure how we're going to live if we ever let ourselves get over into the second mile kind of living. And so, while our emphasis is upon taking the broad leap of faith to live in that second mile kind of life, I do not want to overlook today the importance of how we live in the first mile. For how we live in the first mile, you see, is important. It is important because 90 percent of us never get out of the first mile. 
and there's a pretty good percentage that never really measure up to what is expected in the first mile. So the spirit, the attitude, the outlook, the mental frame of reference, the spiritual maturity that we bring to the first mile of living is something that is vitally important for every one of us. It's the foundation for life itself. How you meet your obligations to yourself, to your loved ones, to your employer, to your employees, to the community of which you are a part and a citizen, and to the kingdom of God. How you meet the spirit with which you involve yourself in the first mile requirements say a great many things about you. Those who are satisfied to confine the boundaries of life to just that which happens to be required and no more discovers that somewhere along the way we'll discover before our days are done if some insight of wisdom flashes across our brain that we have let life go by and that the great joys that God had planned for us have somehow gone by the board that all of those little extras, those happy, wonderful extras of life that we could have shared in, that we could have participated in, that we could have been a part of, those little extra things that could have become a part of our lives, that could have made life happier for our wives, for our husband, for our children, that it could have made a difference. We wake up to that point and say, oh, look how much of my life is past already. And I've missed in the giving of these added joys to others, and I've missed out in those added things that God has wanted me to have all along. We've closed our mind and our hearts and our lives to them. But thank God, there are some who will take Jesus at his word. I suppose that this is the great leap of faith. Probably that next great marvelous step of faith that must come in the life of an individual. The first is that glorious moment of redemption, of salvation, of conversion, of being saved, when by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God enters into our life, and the blood of the crucified Savior washes our sins away, and our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the first great step of faith, and we begin to walk within the boundaries of the glories of redemption. But then there comes that time for some, and it is my earnest prayer as your pastor, as one who loves you, 
an earnest prayer that I have prayed for you before trying to preach this message and in the bringing of this message is the prayer that you and I together might step out in another great act of faith as Christians knowing how the faith in Jesus has brought that joy to our hearts, the joy of salvation, now listening to Jesus, taking him at his word, not arguing with him, and taking it when he said, and whosoever shall compel you, shall impress you to go that first mile of obligation, go with him two miles. That somehow by faith to say to the Lord Jesus Christ today, Lord, I don't know what this would require of me, I do not know in what area I will be asked to go a second mile. I do not know what you have in mind for me, but Lord, by faith, I'm willing to try to become that kind of a Christian who will not be chafing under the obligations of the burdens of the first mile. But Lord, with your help, I will constantly look for a door that's open for a window that's open whereby I can live on that higher and nobler, truly Christian level of the second mile. And I don't think that means for five seconds that when we have this desire and when we want to live life and this quality, I do not think that for a moment means that we have to do everything anybody asks us to do. But I do think this. I think that we should give very careful attention when some opportunity of service or witness or living or going or doing or being presents itself to us that we need to put it in the scales and to weigh it and to see, is this of God? Would God receive the glory if I do this, if I go here, if I give this, if I give of myself beyond my human capacity to give? Will God get the glory for it? Is God in this? And if God is in it, then we need by faith to go right ahead and to walk that second mile. The fullness of your own personality, the fullness of the potential that God has put in you is never ever realized if you are living contentedly in that first mile of obligation. The beautiful flower of your life will bud and blossom as a thing of joy for you. The realization of the abilities and the talents that God has given. The blossoming of your life that will give forth a fragrance and will make you a joy to be around. A happy somebody to be with a blessing to your family, a benediction to the people with whom you were, an honor to God. The blossom, the fragrant of the blossom of your own life comes to its fruition only when by that step of faith 
you and I will move out into that life of doing more than is required of us. Enoch was a man like that. Enoch walked with God. And a blessing came to him. Joseph was a man like that. Ruth and Esther, these great heroines of the Old Testament, were individual women who could have said at that strategic crisis point of their life, we've done enough. Ruth could have said, I will stay here among my own people. I will not leave my home and family to go over with you. But by that step of faith and the going of the second mile, she became a great name in all the history of the world. And Esther could have said as a queen, why should I go and put myself in danger of the king? Why should I go and speak on behalf of my people? I live for them. They are known that I am a Jewess. Why should I take this daring step? But Esther, not counting the cost, Esther went into the very presence of the king and pled for her people. She went that second mile. Your Christian character is forged not so much by what you do under the impress of some Christian obligation. But your Christian character is forged by what you do and your spirit as you face a second mile. In the second mile, the Christian finds happiness. I'm well aware that I could be grossly misunderstood in this next statement. The average Christian who settles down to a comfortable kind of an existence, somehow believing that an eternal fire insurance policy has been paid for by Jesus, that he has been rescued from the horrors of hell and will someday make it to heaven, and settles down to the minimum kind of Christian life, is probably one of the most miserable individuals on the face of the earth. And say, well, that runs counter, preacher, to what's been preached over the years that all you have to do is become a Christian and suddenly all your problems are solved. Suddenly everything's taken care of. Just become a Christian. The Christian who does not live for Christ is surely a very miserable kind of an individual. Not really happy walking with the Savior, because there are too many sins, little pet sins, that we hug to our hearts and we're not willing to part with, and yet not really wanting to walk in the depths of 
the sinful crowd and yet wanting somehow to dabble in those things of the world. And so the Christian who's just halfway, the Christian who's just started, the Christian who is that infant in Christ and without any evidence of maturity is an individual who along the way is pretty miserable. The trying times come and like a, like a tiny tree that's green and pliable and bendable in the winds like blew through our area yesterday, uh, the little immature trees bend over and can even break. The plea of Jesus was that not only do I want you to follow me and let me be your savior, but the plea of Jesus is let me give you the principles of life so that in the living of your life, day by day, sunrise to sunset, day up and day down, month in and month out, year in and year out, live your life on such a level and such a plane, says Jesus, by the principles that I share with you and that I will give to you that your Christian life will not only be a life of obligation, a life of laws, but that your Christian life, live with me, says Jesus, will be a thing of unspeakable happiness. That's what Jesus wants you to have. A life of accomplishment, a life of victory, a life of doing something, and a life so that when you come to the end of your days, you can look back upon your life, whether it is a brief one or a long one, and to be able to say, thank you, Jesus, for opening for me the doors of the second mile kind of living. Oh, you find happiness here, for where praise and gratitude are not required, you give it. And in the giving of it, joy comes to your own soul in your prayer life, where prayer becomes fellowship with God in the matter of your stewardship of your money. It's not a matter of a sharp pencil point to figure out the minimum that you can give to God and still get by, but rather in the walking of the second mile. It's, oh God, take what I have. The blessings of the second mile. It'll deliver you from that self-pity that you have for yourself. It'll deliver you from living on that low level of just being a human creature. There's a story of a little Scottish lady, poor, had nothing, sick, well known in the community as being one abused, physically beaten by her husband. A marvelous little Christian woman who lived literally in hell. And there was an occasion at the church and the little Scottish woman came and she put what was for her a very sizable gift upon the altar. And the pastor of the church asked her when the service was over, why did you do it? You, we know your circumstances. We know the terrible, hard times in which you live. Why did you do it? 
and she answered her pastor with these words, and I wrote them. She said, Pastor, all these things that you've been talking about have been laid on me. I cannot refuse them. But a little extra of my own choosing takes the sting out of all those others. A little extra of my own choosing takes the sting out of the hurt of the first mile. This morning, I call you to the challenge of the second mile in your life. So many of you are right at that point. By faith of stepping over to living the truly Christian kind of life, to see the full life against merely living from day to day in your service, in your consecration, in the love that you share with those who do not love you, in your patience, in your faith, in your achievements. Are you forgiving beyond the mere requirements? What would the second mile have you do? Husband, wife, are you merely faithful to the vows that you exchanged or are you even more faithful? Are you more just than the law? The weariness of the obligations of going the first mile is overcome when we add the romance and the victory of going the second mile. Christian, this is by faith. And I call you to the act of faith of going your own second mile for a whole new level of your Christian living. There may be some who in the Christian life have not even entered the first mile. And we enter into that first mile by trusting Jesus, accepting him, loving him, letting him do for us what only he can do. And this morning in this place, I ask you to let your heart be open in the confession of your sins, welcoming Jesus.